Take your Bibles now and open up to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to read, but before I read, I want you to buckle up. Okay, put your proverbial seatbelts on. You guys put your seatbelts on, put your helmets on. You're going to need some gear today. Because Paul is transitioning, as Paul does, in all of his epistles. Every one of Paul's epistles is divided in half seas. The first half of Paul's epistles is what we call theology or doctrine. It's teaching of who God is and what God has done. It's all about God, all about him, all about Jesus, all about what's been done. And then in the second part of Paul's letters, it's how we then respond to what Paul has done. It's what we now do knowing what he's done. It has to happen in this order because only until you know everything Jesus has done, wow, can then you settle into this next lane that settles into this, whoa, which is you now doing what God has called you to do. And so in Colossians chapter one and two, we spent 16 weeks studying all the things that Jesus has done. We're gonna call this theology. I wanna give you guys a couple big words at the beginning of service today so you feel like you got your money's worth. So this is the theology, it's the study of God. It actually leads to what we would call an orthodoxy. You ever heard of an Orthodox church? An Orthodox church is a church that is pretty proud of what they believe in and they're real stoic and strategic and everything they do lines up with exactly what they believe and there's no variance or diversions. They're an Orthodox church. But the reality is, if you have a theology, study of God, you will conclude with an orthodoxy, which means a belief about God. And you guys have heard this before here a time or two. What you believe about God will determine how you behave for God. Belief determines behavior. And so your orthodoxy is important. What you, do you believe this? Because your orthodoxy will then lead to an orthopraxy. Orthopraxy is a right behavior. Orthodoxy is a right belief. And if you believe right, you're gonna behave right. Any of you guys ever behave wrong? Raise your hand. Okay, half of you. The rest of you are like, oh man, you know. And what happens inevitably in those moments where you behave wrong on, I'm gonna call it two different ways, on a micro level or the macro level, it's because your, behavior, your belief system got jarred. It's because you forgot where you were going. You forgot who you were. You forgot who God is. And in that moment, that lapse, that blindness, you did something silly. You went somewhere you shouldn't have gone. You did something you shouldn't have done. And your belief will keep you safe and help you then with your behavior. Now, let me say that all again a little differently. Paul is now going to tell us what we need to do. It's our turn. The first two chapters have been all about what Jesus has done that he was circumcised in his flesh. That means all of him died. And that he was raised, that means he resurrected from the grave. And that he's now ruling and reigning and will come again. This is what he has done. And because of that, you and I have our marching orders as well. My goal today is to get through nine verses, so we're just gonna do it, we're gonna try, we're gonna see how it goes. I'll change it up for the second service. But let's just read verses one through nine together and we'll see how this might fit for you. Paul says, if then... Some of your versions might say since then, and I think it should say that. The if there is not a question, it's an emphasis. He's not asking if you're saved. I'm gonna ask if you're saved before we get going. Are you saved? Because if you're not saved, we need to go listen to the first 16 you know, sermons and get saved. But if you are saved, then this is how it's gotta look. Since you're saved, I'm gonna keep reading faster now. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, 
uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Verse nine, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Listen to verse 10. We're gonna start here next week, hopefully, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Father, in Jesus' name, one more time, we ask for your mercy upon your word that we would be those students who look into these things deeply and through the power of your spirit are transformed from glory to glory. Lord, we don't wanna approach these things with the natural mind, but with the spiritual mind. So would you equip us right now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said? Amen. What Paul is asking us to do is to deal with our flesh. Now that Christ has given everything that he's given, you and I are to come to him and give our flesh to him in order that we might walk more and more like him. And this doesn't come overnight. Have you noticed this before? How many of you guys, since you got saved, became a Christian, you've done some silly things since then? Anybody done some silly things since you became a Christian? You're like, I'm a Christian, I repent, I love Jesus. And then all of a sudden we see you in the Lincoln County Jail roster. Like, what happened, you know? I check the roster for my friends all the time, you know, and I just thank God I'm not there. Like, you know, I know, this is crazy. And I'm a born-again believer, and so are you. I want to actually contrast the portion I just read with the very last verse of chapter 2. You guys remember chapter 2? Paul was warning us against all the counterfeits and detours to Christianity, real, real Christianity. He said one of which is asceticism, just kind of doing away with all the pleasures and living sad so you can please the Lord. And one was legalism and one was mysticism and one was intellectualism, just thinking you're smarter than God. He said, careful, careful. All of those are distractions apart from and away from Jesus, the head. And if you're spending more time with Jesus and you're more in love with Jesus and you're connected to Jesus, you're just gonna grow. It's gonna be legit. But any of these other distractions aren't gonna actually help you with, look at the last verse, here's what he says. He says, these things, which things? All those four distractions. Indeed, have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body. Here's the point I want you to focus on. But are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So you and I have this thing called the flesh. It's still here. It's still alive. The Bible says it's been crucified with Christ. That is, your flesh has been done away with. But have you ever thought about crucifixion? Crucifixion is a long, arduous, effective way of killing someone. But it doesn't happen immediately. As a matter of fact, when somebody is crucified, they can hang there. Jesus hung for over six hours, which is actually a short period. You can hang for 12 hours, 24. There's actually records of people hanging crucified for 48 hours, agonizing in their near death. So too, your flesh has been crucified. That's good news. But have you noticed your flesh showing up from time to time and getting in the way of what God has asked you to do? It's the indulgences of our flesh, and there's something that we try and do to fight against those. But Paul emphatically says, hey, by the way, all this other religious stuff, it actually won't help you to be nearer and dearer and closer to the Lord. Instead, he tells us to put to death those members with the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's just go ahead and study this out then, line by line, beginning in verse one. Look at chapter three, verse one. It says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Again, this if is implied. It's not a question. He's not wondering. He's assuming, and he knows that the church at Colossae are believers, as a matter of fact, he tells us in chapter one, verses four and five, I'll read it to you, it says this. It says, since we heard of your faith 
in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Stop right there, eyes up here. He says, you guys have faith, love, and hope. He loved this church. They had faith in Jesus. Okay, what's your faith at? Is it in Jesus? Gotta ask you guys, because some of you are wondering, are you, are you believers here this morning? Where's your faith at? Is it in the vaccine? Is it in a mask mandate being lifted or continued? Is it in the Minnesota Vikings getting a wild card spot? Where's your faith? Where's your hope? Is your hope in heaven or is it down here for a new presidency, a new, new thing, a new, new job, a new spouse, a new son? Where's your hope? And he says, they also have love. Where's your love? And remember, we studied this weeks and weeks ago that they had love for everyone, for all the saints. And he says to these guys and gals, if that's true, your faith is in Jesus, your hope is in heaven, and your love is for everybody, if you were then raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. And once you answer that question, and we're gonna say it differently, since you're saved, then seek those things that are above. Now, this word seek is a pretty intense word. It literally means intense pursuit. It's an action word. Jesus would say it this way in Matthew 6 in his Sermon on the Mount. He would say, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. It's a direction. You're saved now? Oh, man, that means you're gonna be evidenced in your life that you're seeking after the things of God. Why am I doing this? Well, namely, in our study today, to deal with the indulgences of the flesh, but because Jesus has done what he's done, now I'm actively seeking those things with purpose and passion going after the things of God. Now, I wanna encourage you because it can be discouraging, can't it? I've been doing this long enough where I know my flesh. And while I have been raised with Christ and I am seeking the things of God, there are moments in my life where it's questionable. Amen. There, there are days that go by. There are weeks, there are months, there are seasons of our lives. And here's to where the conflict lies. is because we're seeking a kingdom of God, but did you notice we're living in the kingdom of man right now? It's this dual citizenship. I'm going to heaven when I die. That's where I live. That's where my eternal citizenship is. But man, I'm actually dwelling here on earth and there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of detours. And while I'm seeking, let's just go ahead and use those two words I, I illustrated earlier, macro and micro. Macro means big, zoomed out, the long term, the big vision. And big vision, long term, zoomed out is I'm going to heaven when I die and that changes everything and I'm seeking the kingdom of heaven. But on the micro vision, when I change that lens in any given day, you might have to ask yourself, what am I doing? What am I doing right now? Where did I get my interest in this and how did I find myself here? It's kind of like having a dog. You guys ever had a dog before? Man, my dog's so cool. I just love my dog, Kaya. She's just getting older and older, and she's more and more precious to me, this little beagle. But every once in a while, this be you ever had a beagle before? I would not recommend it. Um, and the older she gets, the sweeter she is. But man, she loses her mind every once in a while. If we leave the door open, she sees out there, and she cannot help but go on the hunt. She's like, I'm out of here. I gotta go and catch something. And she just takes off, and man, it's horrible. We gotta go find her and all this stuff. And another thing that happens with dogs every once in a while is the dog will lose their focus when they're eating or find some scrap of food. You ever try and take a scrap of food from a dog before? And all of a sudden, this is the family dog. We're best friends, and this dog's, I'll kill you, you know. And, I mean, I've, I, you know, and they're just dogs, you know, they're beasts. And yet, if you're honest, there's times in your life as a Christian where your macro focus doesn't line up with your micro focus and you find yourself doing the silliest of things and you've lost focus altogether. 
And this is where we need the grace of Jesus Christ to convict us, to comfort us, to help us. And he says this question, this command, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And I think you really need to zoom into this and focus on this. It's gonna help you in your pursuit of God. Did you know that there actually is a literal kingdom and Christ is literally sitting there and Christ is literally coming back one day and this changes everything? See, we know this. Jesus is real. Jesus is alive. Jesus dwells in heaven. And one day he'll be returning soon for his bride. Now, not everyone believes this. Matter of fact, on Facebook the other day, I posted something and somebody was wearing a Jesus is real sweatshirt. And a friend of mine, he's kind of antagonistic at this point in his life for whatever reason. And he said, hey, real question. Does anybody actually not believe that Jesus is real? Is this sweatshirt campaign purely anecdotal? Or are you trying to prove that Jesus is real, you know? And I just read it and I didn't comment. And his question was this, so what? Jesus is real, everybody believes that. Does, does, does not everybody believe Jesus is real? I mean, physiologically, he was born 2,000 years ago. If you do the study, actually, most people believe Jesus is real. Here's where the whole Jesus is real shirt goes to the next level, though. If you believe he was actually born, that he actually lived and actually did what he did, you also have to make a decision. Do I actually believe what he actually said? Because Jesus said crazy things. I mean, he said crazy. They were so crazy that his disciples were like, bro, don't say that. They gonna kill you if you keep talking that way. And Jesus went on to say, I didn't come to live. I came to die. And if you believe Jesus is real, it's not just that he was born, but that everything he said is true. And that when he died, he rose from the dead and he ascended in heaven. And he now rules and reigns and sits at the right hand of God. And he is real and he is really coming back. And that should really change everything in your life because it's real. It's not just like real, it's real. Ah, you know. A couple years ago, I remember this family came to church here at South Beach. And I saw him come in. I was so excited because they're from the, they're kind of a prominent family. And, and I was excited because I know them and they don't go to church here. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And so I went and said, welcome to church, you know, and this and that. And they went to church here one time and they never came back. And I kind of talked to them later. They said, yeah, we didn't know that you were that church. <laughs> I was like, oh, what do you, what do you mean that church? Well, you know, a church that actually, you know, preaches the scriptures and believes in those things. And they were looking for more of an ecumenical church, kind of a, you know, community vibe, kind of, let's just, it's good for our kids to have something, you know, to do on Sundays or something like that. So, oh yeah, we, we're, we are that church. We indeed are that church. And we believe that Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And if you believe that, if you have good theology and good orthodoxy, you're going to have a good orthopraxy and you're going to seek these things. You're gonna put your treasure in heaven where it belongs and you're gonna guard your heart and you're gonna fight against the flesh every single time it creeps up and takes you down. This is good news, by the way, because we're in a battle. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going away to prepare a place for you and if it weren't so, I would've told you, but I'm coming back. This is the promises of God. And Paul now in prison, right into the church at Colossae, says, guys, seek the things that are above. Now, this is in heaven. You guys have questions about heaven? You have questions about heaven? Got a lot of questions about heaven. Randy Alcorn writes a book called Heaven. Some of you have read it. I've got stacks of uh, copies in my, in my office. I give them to people who've lost loved ones. And, and, and he writes a, a lot of volume on what we have is a very little amount of scriptures about heaven. There's not actually a lot of scriptures describing heaven. There's a very small amount compared to what we have about how to live our lives down here. 
But Jesus tells us to set our attention and focus on things above, not on things on the earth. Let me give you three principles that will help you to focus and set your mind on things above, not on the things down here. The first one is the treasure principle. The Bible says that where your treasure is, there your... Okay, when you live for heaven, when you're constantly investing in heaven, when you're spending your time, energy, days, dollars, and deeds on heaven, and you believe that there's gonna be an eternal reward, the Bible says that wherever you put your treasure, your heart's gonna be there as well. And so if you volunteer in the church, if you evangelize your family, if you pray and serve Jesus Christ, if you give financially, and if you give with your energy and you believe in the kingdom of heaven, I promise you, your heart will be there to the degree that you invest your treasure there. Let me give you an illustration. If you have ever purchased a Bitcoin, you guys know what a Bitcoin is? Or some sort of cryptocurrency, or some sort of stock, or some sort of electronic investment. If you've ever done that, I guarantee if you put your money there, immediately and instantaneously and throughout the week, you're checking on that investment, are you not? You know what the cost of Bitcoin is, and you know what's going on, the fluctuation, and you know the market's in the trench, because that's where your heart's at. And if you don't have investments there, you probably think Bitcoin's fake. You probably think it's not even real at this point. As a matter of fact, let me just give you, did you know that if you would have bought $100 in Bitcoin in 2010, if you'd put $100 in, said, let's just try it out. It's eight cents a share. I'm going to put 100 bucks in. You would have $8 billion today if you just would have put $100 in and let it ride. So if you have a time machine, let me know. Let's all go back and figure it out. I hope you understand the illustration. If you own something of that value, your, your heart's going to be there all the time. You want your heart to be in heaven? You want to do this? Okay? You need to be focusing on the things that will last forever. There's so many distractions down here that are not going to last forever. I used that illustration with my kids this morning. I said, guys, if we would, I said, can you imagine though if you had $8 billion? Wouldn't that be so awesome? And then on the day you died, guess what you would do with it? Leave it to me. It would be, I'd get it. You, know, you, you wouldn't take it to heaven. Treasure principle. I'm going to give you two more principles. The second one is the trial principle. Did you know that every time you go through a trial in life, it actually makes you long for heaven even more? As a matter of fact, a trial a day is not a bad thing. I don't want that. Do you want that? I don't want that. I want the $8 billion. Like, let's try that. You know what I'm talking about? No, somebody didn't sign up for Bitcoin. You signed up for the trial path. Okay, listen. Trials aren't the worst thing in the world. Psalm 119 verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. How? Trials. If your heart is not focused on the things of God, God will lovingly take you down a notch or two to get your attention. Okay, he'll lovingly allow you to walk through. Life will disappoint you. Life will not end up being what you thought it was going to be. He already promised us this in the scriptures. Genesis chapter three, you're cursed, you're cursed, you're cursed. It's all cursed. Okay, that's, and we're surprised. Well, I can't believe it's tough to be married. I can't believe it's tough having kids. I can't believe I can't make a living. <laughs> Read the book. It's all designed so you don't get too comfy here. It's the trial principle. And the third principle is not the treasure principle or the trial principle. It's the transfer principle. And the longer you live, the more people that you know have gone before you into eternity. And they're there waiting for you. And the more people you have that you've stood by their graveside and said, I'll see you when you get there. The more and more people you say, you know what, I actually, I actually don't mind thinking about heaven. I'm looking forward to it. This world is full of pain. It's full of difficulties. If you then were raised with Christ, set, seek those things above, not things 
below, and he tells us this. He instructs us in this because it's not as easy as it would seem because we're in this dual reality, which is the already, not yet. We're going to heaven, but we're living on earth, and it takes faith. Look at verse 2. He says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. This is two powerful words, seek and set. These are determinations in your mindset, in your heart. I'm going to seek the things of God, and I'm going to set this standard for things not below, but things above. Why? Verse 3, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Interesting. How many of you guys realize you died in Christ when you became a believer? Okay. We're looking around, you guys look pretty good to me. You don't look dead yet, you know. But So it's kind of this mystery. You died in Christ, and when you became a believer and you were baptized and you put your faith in him, you then became a co-heir of his death, burial, and resurrection. And now you are dead to your flesh. Now here's where this timeline gets confusing, though. See, a lot of people give their lives to Jesus the same way they take out a life insurance policy on themselves. And once you take out a life insurance policy on yourself, there's kind of this relief, isn't there? Like you take this life insurance policy out and if I die, my family gets all these benefits and man, I'm glad I got that out of the way. Now I can live my life with knowing that my family's gonna be cared for when I die. And it's this thing, listen, that doesn't actually benefit you at all. I remember I bought my life insurance policy 14 years ago. Uh, my wife was pregnant with Noah and my pastor said, now that you have a kid on the way, you need a life insurance policy to make sure your wife can care for your kids if something were bad to happen. So go get a life insurance policy. And when I went and bought the life insurance policy there in Ashland with John Snowden at the State Farm Agency there and 34 bucks a month is what I pay even to this day. And you know, I walked out feeling kind of like a rich man. If I die, I didn't get anything out of it. They'd taken my money. And here's the deal. Some people treat Christianity the same way. And here's what I mean by that. You're saved. You're born again. And you say something similar to this. Man, I'm glad I got that out of the way. Now I'm going to die and go to heaven, which is true. But what you're missing out on are the benefits that happen immediately. See, a life insurance policy, at least my policy, there are no immediate benefits. I don't have that. It's a term policy, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. No benefits right now. Christianity, though, you died and are now hidden with Christ. Everything changed when you became a believer right now. And yet so many Christians are just waiting, man. I just got to wait to get to heaven. Everything's all messed up now. And I'm just so, you know, I'll, I'll be rich one day, but right now, I don't, not, no benefits. And I believe that there's a huge mistake. Verse three, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse four, and when Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is a prophetical promise from Pastor Paul that needs to be clung to and understand theologically because if you have good theology, you're gonna have good doxology, or not dox, doxology too, but you're gonna have good orthopraxy, how you live your life. And he says, Christ is appearing and you will appear with him in glory. And just so you know, theologically, there are two appearings of Christ that we're waiting for. The next coming of Christ is when Christ comes in the clouds and he raptures the church to be with him. He's coming for his bride. The Bible predicts this. The Bible prophesies this. The Bible teaches this. Jesus is coming for his bride to rapture us from this earth, to take us to heaven for a seven-year honeymoon with him. This is all detailed in the book of Revelation. While on planet earth, there is judgment metered out to a God-rejecting, sinful world down below. And at the end of those seven years, listen, is the second coming of Christ where Christ returns not for his bride, but listen, with his bride. And you'll be with him. And we're gonna be following him as he takes over and sets up his kingdom. Now, 
Again, the people that visited our church years and years ago said, all right, we're never coming back here. You know, you, you guys believe that? I was like, heck yeah, we believe that, man. This book changes lives. Jesus is real. This is what he proclaimed and prophesied and proved in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Bible says that I believe it, that settles it. It'll change everything. Paul's trying to, dare I say, warm us up for what he's gonna tell us to do. He's saying, guys, if you're saved, then man, seek the things of heaven. Don't set your mind on things below, but set your mind on things above, for you, you died and you're hidden, he says. And when Christ, who's our life, verse four, appears, you're gonna appear with him in glory. This type of hope, I just need to repent. Because this type of hope should change everything in every single instance of your life. How many of you guys got some real heavy stuff you're dealing with right now? I mean, real issues. Maybe it's not even yours. Maybe you just grabbed onto some burdens that aren't yours. We do that. We just kind of grab stuff. We're like sponges and we bear burdens we shouldn't carry. It's heavy. I think it was Friday. I was driving across the bridge. As I was driving across the bridge, I was dealing with a lot of stuff. I was just kind of it's been, been, it's been, there's a lot of, lot, of, lot of weight on my shoulders. And as I was driving, I, I saw a friend of mine drive the opposite direction on the bridge and, and I could see on his face just briefly, it was raining and stuff. I could just see he has a lot of weight on his shoulders too. I could just tell. And yet I know, know this person well enough to know that he, he doesn't know the Lord yet. He doesn't know the kingdom of God. He's not been raised with Christ. His mind is not set on the things above. He's not seeking the kingdom of God. And yet he's got the same burdens and same str- struggles and problems. And here's what I thought. This thought went through my mind. I was like, what? would that be like to have all the cares of the world all the struggles we're not unique we all suffer similarly and yet the uniqueness that you and i do have and and we share is that we know we're going to heaven and i began to have this thought process what's it like to live in this world without knowing there's heaven making up your own narrative finding your own strength fixing your own problems finding ways to navigate through all the difficulties and i just began to have a burden for this man but not just this person it's a friend of mine but for everybody but also on the flip side to say thank you jesus i'm going to heaven I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Paul says in Philippians, whether I got a lot or I got a little, whether things are great, whether things are hard. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. These aren't just hallmark platitudes. These are actual things that God's given to us to put into our arsenal of faith that we might make the decisions and go the direction that God wants us to go. Now, Paul gets into some practical matters. We're gonna spend the rest of our time looking at what he says to do. He tells us as we're seeking God and making priorities in our life. And I was gonna list 11 things in this next portion for us to kill, for us to put to death, for us to deal with. Let's read it beginning in verse five. He says, therefore, put to death your members, not family members, that's different. They put to death your members which are on the earth and he lists them, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And he says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience and what you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Stop right there and eyes up here. Paul tells us emphatically that these things will take you down. So before they take you down, you need to kill them. Notice he doesn't say to tame them, to leash them, to redefine them, to cage them. He says you must put to death the members of your flesh. This is a death blow that he says to these things and he lists them. And I find it interesting that he lists 11 different sins. It's not an exhaustive list. Can you think of any sins that he didn't list on here? (laughs) 
Which ones? No, just kidding. These are sins on here that he didn't list, but I'm also thankful that he did list these sins so specifically. I think there is power. By the way, if you're fighting with a specific sin right now, a specific stronghold, I think that there is power in naming it specifically, calling it what it is. You can call it a mistake. You can call it a failure. You can call it an issue. Or you can go to the jugular and call it a sin and call it what it is and repent of it and ask God to kill it in your life and you're gonna find yourself walking more free in those areas. Paul specifically, listen, this isn't the only portion of scripture where Paul lists sins that need to be dealt with, but for this church in this area, he says if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, these gots to be dealt with. This is not part of your life moving forward. You need to put them to death. Let me just give you four quick reasons why you need to deal with your sin. Okay, this is really important if you're wondering here, what's the big deal? Okay, the first reason you need to deal with your sin and follow what God says to do, number one, and this should be enough for all of you, is because God said to. Okay, it's just obedience. That's a cool part in your life when you finally get there, you say, oh, I didn't didn't know it said that. Queen Latifah was being interviewed years and years ago, and she was asked about the sin of pride. She said, what do you think about the sin of pride? And her response was profound. She said, I didn't know pride was a sin. I had no idea. And so, too, there are people in the world and whole entire uh, uh, people groups that don't realize that these things are sinful. And so God, by his grace, identifies them for us. And so the first thing is because he said so, that should be enough. But if that's not enough, number two reason why you should put to death the members of your flesh is because when you sin, it actually hurts the Father's heart. It hurts Jesus. See, there's a lie that I believe whenever I dabble in sin and compromise and walk in the flesh and make allowances for who I am and the way I was created. I I just kind of, the Lord doesn't take it personally, does it? He doesn't see it on that level. And I don't have one relationship, one friend group, one family member that isn't personally impacted and affected by my sin when I find myself walking in those areas. There's a personal impact that happens to God when you and I decide to walk in our justifications and rebellions. Number one, he said to do it. Number two, it hurts him. And number three, check this out. This might actually have some more application for you. It hurts you. When you sin and you decide to bring this into your life and do these silly things, you pay the cost. The wages of sin is, rhymes with F, starts with D, death. Have you guys ever sinned and found yourself paying the consequences? And the fourth one, this is a motivator for me, especially where God's called me to be, is not just because he said so, not just because it hurts him, and not just because it hurts me, but because it hurts the witness that God has asked me to walk in. Are you a Christian? Are you a believer? Saved by grace? Walking on the coattails of Jesus Christ into heaven, that's how it works? God says, I'm gonna use you in your transformed life to prove that your sweatshirt that it says Jesus is real actually is real by your transformed life. And your witness counts. Your witness matters. Your witness is why you're alive. King David had some bad days. And after he was convicted by his friend Nathan of the sins that he had committed, which included adultery and murder and lying. Nathan convicted him of those sins and he said, one of the reasons you're gonna be disciplined and the way you're disciplined is because you've given great reason for the nations around to blaspheme the name of God. 
There are men and women watching the church of God, and when the church of God stumbles and pastors fall and churches get caught with embezzlement and believers do silly things and churches that are, people that are watching on the outside saying, I was gonna become a believer, but after I see what you guys are doing, I don't want anything to do with it. You guys are worse than the rest of the world. Has this happened in our culture? It has. And so when Paul says, guys, you're Christians now, okay, church at Colossae 2,000 years ago, okay, church 2,000 years later, Newport, Oregon, okay, you need to put to death this stuff. It, it matters. Fight. Set your mind on things above, not on earth below. Seek the kingdom of heaven. He lists these, and they're pretty self-explanatory, but let's go ahead and uh, uh, talk about them. He says fornication. This is sex before marriage or sex outside of marriage. And let me actually preface this before we talk about this, because he says a lot about sexual orientation here. Uh, let me just ask a question. Is our country and our culture right now in the year 2021, are, is, are we confused with, about sexuality right now? Okay. Do you think we might have some problems right now with, with sexuality uh, globally right now? Is there problems? Okay. We have some problems. We're confused. It's all messed up. Let me just give you a spoiler alert. The world is broken. Okay. Just in case you're, the world is broken. It's not right. It needs to be fixed. And instead of fixing it, what the world is doing is it's re-identifying it and it's redefining it and saying, well, this is all broken. Let's just go ahead and make a little spot for it at the table. Let's go ahead and call it what it is. And let's go ahead and say it's okay. And we'll put it in right here and we'll make a little abbreviation for it and we'll have a parade about it and we'll celebrate it where God says, no, 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 no. There's brokenness in the world. And if you allow for this brokenness to keep going down this pathway, it's going to kill you, it's going to kill others, and it's going to ultimately kill him in his heart in that way. And so he says, put to death these things. Fornication, again, is sex outside of marriage, sex before marriage. Again, this is something that our schools uh, teach, they promote, uh, they actually allow for it, they give resources, all kinds of crazy stuff is happening in our world. Bible says, don't do it. Uncleanness, okay? I don't even need to describe that. It's anything that's unclean. It's just garbage out there, perversity, stuff that shouldn't be happening. Passion, he says, put that to death. Now, let me just time out. Passion is a gift from God, Okay. But when that passion is directed in the wrong ways and in the wrong places, it needs to be put to death. Passion needs to be directed in the right areas that God has put us in, which is in relationships that are from him. He says, put to death evil desires. This is things that happen in your heart, happen in your mind, and you don't take that thought captive, but instead you let it go its way. Put those evil thoughts and evil desires to death. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that God's given to us weapons of warfare for taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And this is when something, you ever had a crazy thought come in your mind? You're like, oh my gosh, where'd that thought come from? If the FBI asked me about that, I'm going to jail forever. You know, you have these crazy thoughts. Like, ah! Evil desires, they're still in there. They come out. Satan prays on you. Put it to death. That's what he says. He goes on to say covetousness, which is idolatry. This idea, I'm, by the way, I had that circled. Because the list is pretty self-explanatory. You got fornication, passion, evil desires, uncleanness. Oh, yeah, and covetousness. How many guys wouldn't put covetousness in this first list? I wouldn't put, co I mean, covetousness, you know, coveting is wanting something you don't need or something, something that somebody else already has, just wanting it for yourself. And he says that leads to idolatry, which is actually grouped with all of these other, what I would say are obvious and gross sins. And yet, if you're honest, most of us in Christianity today, we're not involved in some of these sins up here. But when it comes to coveting, okay, that's called watching TV, okay? That's called watching, uh, going, opening up your email and reading the Costco email. Look at, ooh, look at all these new things. And the marketing campaign of our society largely revolves around this idea of having more of what you already have enough of, of having more of what you don't need, having what other people have. And he says, careful, that will breed in... Because where are we going when we die, when we die guys? Where are we going? We're going to heaven. 
And when was the last time you saw a hearse dragging a U-Haul trailer with all their stuff? <laughs> it doesn't happen. And this takes a while. As you get older, you realize, man, all this stuff, all, this, all these material possessions, I don't need any of this stuff. And the freer you are, the more likely God's going to use you. He says, watch out for idolatry. He says in verse six, and I'm gonna, I gotta finish this because I want to, because I don't wanna talk about this next week. Uh, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in what you yourselves once walked when you lived in. Let's talk about the wrath of God real quick. This is a motivator, isn't it? In the wrath of God, the Bible says that Jesus Christ stands looking at the earth and his eyes are like fire. I mean, think of like a... He's gonna, and the wrath of God is coming. And there are two phases to the wrath of God. Okay, there's the passive wrath of God, which is what we're experiencing right now. This world is under the passive wrath of God, where God is allowing this world to go its course. And people are acting crazy and doing silly things. The book of Romans says that God will give you over to your own passions and desires and therein reap the consequences within yourself. And the world, the society is getting more and more perverse and more and more gross because as God takes his hand of protection off of the world and the world has its own desires, it suffers under its own choices. And it's the passive wrath of God. God is saying, all right, you can do this. I give you freedom. It will kill you. And in that is passive. There is a day though where the active wrath of God will be poured out on mankind. See, Jesus Christ stands as a mediator and he stands in between and Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And when the father looked upon him, he who knew no sin became sin and the wrath of God was poured out on sin. Jesus became that buffer. He absorbed the wrath of God and all who put their faith in Jesus Christ now will not suffer the wrath of God because Christ has suffered for you in your place. And yet there is a day coming when those who have rejected Jesus Christ, who have not pled the blood of his cross, will suffer the wrath of God. He encourages them in verse seven. He says, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. That word walked means it's a pattern. It's a habit. I've alluded to this a number of times today. I'm gonna say it differently this time. If you've made some mistakes, if you're sinning, if, if you struggle, you have weaknesses, that proves that you're a human. But if those mistakes, those struggles, those sins become habits, patterns, and lifestyles, that proves that you're not just human, but you have a problem. You have a real problem. And you need to bring those issues to the Lord and let him forgive you and change you. See, in Christianity, there's no such thing as perfection down here, but there is such a thing as progress. We need to, pro we need to make progress daily. I don't think Christians can ever become sinless but I think as we mature in Christ, we will sin less and less and less and less as we grow. He says, these are things you once walked in. That word walked is important. Now we stumble or fight these things, but we don't walk in them. Verse eight, but now you yourselves are to put off all of these anger. Okay, this is just a short fuse, a short temper. Wrath, okay, this is actually violence and wanting to harm people. Malice, this is rejoicing when other people are going through pain and suffering. Blasphemy, this is just an unrighteous spirit. Filthy language, same thing. Out of your mouth, verse nine, do not lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of Christ, him who created him. Stop right there, eyes up here, in closing. It's interesting. 
Let's go ahead and believe God's word today, okay, guys? He says, put to death these things. Put off the old man and put on the new man. That's what he says. Now, I want to teach on this for another hour or two, have a seminar. We're going to have a, a week's conference. Let's figure, whoa, 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 it can't be that easy, can it? Just put it to death. Just put off the old man and put on the new man. This is what the Bible says. Just do it. Put it off. It's kind of like when your clothes don't fit anymore or when they're dirty in time for a wash. You just change them. I don't, I don't wear that anymore. I put that off. I'm putting on my new man. I don't do these things anymore. I'm going to heaven. I have a new nature. I have a new focus. I have a new perspective. I have a new direction in my life. I have a new power source. I'm not the same person I used to be. Jesus said, put it off. I'm just going to put it off. I'm going to put, put off fornication and lying and foul speaking and all these other silly things. And may the Holy Spirit help us in that. May he give us what he gives us, the power to overcome sin and temptation. And may he convict us. As a matter of fact, as we leave here this morning, it would be a gift that God would leave with you that he would give you a sensitivity to his spirit and say, hey, you're going to heaven, right? Yeah, okay, you better pack your bags. What I mean by that is you better prepare for heaven. You ever, you ever done a big trip before where you're gonna fly somewhere and in order to fly somewhere, you have to make some preparations. You have to get your ticket and if you're going on a vacation or traveling somewhere, usually you do some research on where you're going. You find out what the weather pattern is before you get there and what you're going to need and if it's going to be fun. Then you start packing early and you start buying stuff and you start, you start setting your mind on things above. And what the Bible tells for you and I, you're going to heaven. Start packing like it. Pl plan your life and live your life not like you're living on earth, but instead like you're going to heaven and you're going to do so uh, by trusting in the power of the Lord. I'm going to pray and ask God to equip us to do that this week. So would you bow your heads and respond with me in prayer? Father, in Jesus' name, we take your word as truth and we ask, Lord, that you would apply it to our hearts and that you would lead us and confirm and in those areas of our life, Lord, where we're already walking in these things and we've already had victory in these things, would you encourage us not to be Pharisees and not to be those, Lord, who judge others, but instead who rejoice, who respond willingly to you. And maybe you're here this morning and you need help in some of these areas. You've been, your sin has been pointed out or maybe you've just been convicted and you're going to heaven and the, and the Lord would look at you and say, you're bringing that to heaven with you? And you say, no, nah, I'm not bringing it. Well, then if you're not gonna bring it to heaven, I wanna just let it go right now. And I pray in Jesus' name for the men and women of our church, Lord, for the men and women of your church that you would help us and equip us to let these things go. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling and you know it, you're being pulled down by the enemy, right now. Lord, I speak life and freedom and victory in Jesus' name. If there is any deceiving, deceiving spirit, any tempting spirit here in Jesus' name, any sinful spirit, any perverse spirit here in Jesus' name, we command you to go in Jesus' name. You have to leave. And we invite the Holy Spirit to dwell in these homes to establish righteousness and freedom. If you need forgiveness from sins you've committed and sins that have been committed against you and you need to be delivered and healed, we speak that in Jesus' name, Lord. Heal us. Heal us and liberate us and help us to be the bride, Lord, that you're returning for. We thank you, Jesus, that you love us just as we are, that you've covered us with your blood, that you're preparing a place for us. We love you and we need you. Please help us to walk in these ways, Lord, and to have victory this week, Lord, and this month and this year for the rest of our lives until we hear that sound and see your face, Lord, face to face. We thank you for all you've done. Bless us now as we go our way in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen and amen. amen.